This is Framework Leadership. Hi, I'm Kent Engel, and you're listening to Framework Leadership. It's a podcast about how to bring your personal life and organization to the next level. Today, I'm privileged to sit down with Steve Saccone. Steve is um, an entrepreneur in the field of unrestricted education and leadership development. For more than a decade, he has partnered with churches nationwide as well as globally to to really design and launch innovative internship programs, leadership development programs. And uh, he's known for the best, I think, out there is Protégé. He served at Willow Creek Community Church in uh, suburban Chicago, Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, and most recently, Awakening Church in the heart of the Silicon Valley. In his current role with Southeastern University, he is um, leading and guiding the way, executing a really a unique vision to merge the academic world with the local church to develop next generation uh, ministry leaders. The really bring that educational stewardship to the calling that people have on their lives. So, uh, Steve, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. So good to be here, and uh, excited to talk with you today. Yeah, hey, I, let's start out a little bit with uh, some of your background. Like, you know, where did you grow up? What was what was your childhood like? Yeah, I kind of grew up all over the place. I've lived in every, I guess, major region in the country. I was born in upstate New York and did a stint in the Midwest. But most of my growing up years was in Wilmington, North Carolina, hometown of Michael Jordan. Ah, yeah. And um, <laughs> and then uh, and then Augusta, Georgia, as well, is where my more childhood years were. Uh, my dad was a electrical and then a nuclear engineer, and so um, he had a plant shut down at one point. He um, he was asked to basically lie to the government at one point, which caused him to move, which was kind of one of the legacies my dad gave me uh, to just integrity. Uh, he was always steady and um, consistent in his values and doing the right thing, even when it was hard. Um, and my mom kind of in all that bounced around with her family, of course, and um, she was very resilient and had grit. And I think it's one of the great things she passed on to me. So you know, there's a lot you could say about your childhood, but my, both my parents uh, passed on um, many good things in terms of their legacy to me. Wow. Well, and and in that, you know, kind of being able to experience um, different cultures and living in different places, how how has that affected what you do in life, having that experience? Yeah, I think it's widened my own understanding of um, of humanity, really, but. Uh, yeah, I've been exposed to very diverse environments. I've also lived in Los Angeles and Chicago and the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, more in my adult years, uh, now now South Florida. And so um, much, much diversity, both socioeconomically and ethnically uh, in all, all different kinds of ways. Um, and then also from, you know, what is the West Coast like versus the East, East Coast versus the Northeast versus the Midwest, all those kind of things. I think it just expands your worldview exposes you to things that that in my view by and large um you know educate you and stretch you and um you know help you understand people more i think as well and you know in in, in our business together right we want to serve people and absolutely and, uh, care about people love people. so those are all um experiences that have been insightful and learning opportunities for me as well uh you know i'm from the west coast southern california uh, guy. So who, what your favorite region? <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, I'm loving South Florida right now, but I have to say California yes. was, was a good run for Good for answer, me. good answer. <laughs> so, so, southern and Northern, those folks sometimes polarize each other, right? <laughs> exactly. But I like both. I like both places. So. Oh, that's good. Hey, um, tell us a little bit about your, your calling because everybody has a call on their life. I mean, that's foundational to what we believe um, you, you know, when God created and designed us, he, he, he wired within us a call and how, tell me a little bit about when you begin to sense that calling and how you really discovered it, how you begin to develop it and, uh, and put it really into action. Yeah. So the biggest turning point in my life happened when I went off to college, I was 18 years old. I was at the university of South Carolina. I was on a baseball scholarship. And a lot of things were right in my life, but internally there was a discontentment about what my life was, was going to be about purpose, meaning, um, destiny, right? Those, those sorts of things. I was asking kind of spiritual God type of questions. And I remember the moment in my dorm room when I was sitting with several of my buddies, we were drinking beer about to go out on the town. And, um, and I said, no, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to stay home. And it was that night that, um, that I had this, undeniable encounter with God. Uh, and I decided I was going to follow Jesus and pursue him. And uh, I didn't know all what that meant. I just knew that was in my spirit. Uh, and, I, you know, there were things that built up to that moment. And just a, a few weeks after that, it, it, at the moment, it felt random because all of a sudden what was bubbling up inside of me is this desire, and I would now call it a calling, um, to to give my life to others and to help them in their own spiritual journey to discover purpose and meaning and destiny and ultimately to find God and um, and it was it was another moment in my dorm room just a few weeks later that that I that I felt that deep sense and in the the weeks that followed that uh, I remember my mom telling me when I was telling her this story she started crying I'm like what's wrong mom and she said when you were four years old. Uh, we came home from church one day and you would put a box, you put a box in front of you and you were imitating our preacher, you know? And she said, God told me that day that you were going to one day be a pastor. And, uh, you know, she never told me that. And, but it was, it was a moment God used to confirm that calling in me. Um, you know, that, and for me, what happened after that was, you know, one of my dreams was to play college baseball. Um, but what I learned in that season of life around my calling uh, what I would, the way, the way I would describe it today is, is, is I had to let that dream die. Um, but another dream was born mm. and I, I, um, sort of went on this journey. It was first when I was learning about the difference between a human dream and a God dream. And, um, and, and that was sort of the formation of that too. And so my calling, uh, I've tried for, you know, whatever, how many years that is since then, uh, to live that out and to say, God, what's your dream and what's your design for my life? I want to do that. I want to live into that purpose and try to do that every day. And sometimes I mess up and get off track, but I try to stay stay the course. And, and, and calling, I mean, it, it is a foundational piece, but it, there's seasons of of calling. Um, you know, you you have gifts, talents, abilities, uh, but but often God may want to use use those in a unique way, in a different way. How, how have you always positioned yourself to recognize the seasons of your personal call? And, and maybe a couple of examples. I, I, I would love to hear how, um, because wow, you've, 
in terms of being able to implement that call in a variety of settings, opportunities for you. I, I think about man to in Willow at Willow and Mosaic, and and then you uh, recently you came from Awakening. Um, how how has your call been unique in those environments, and how did you how did you recognize that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, in different seasons of life, they were different. I mean, when I when I was going through college, I I, I sensed and had this call, and I was going to lead a church one day. Right, that's sort of the language I had for it, and um, and God shaped me in that and used that and prepared me, but. But as I began to look for seminary, which was kind of the next step in that world, um, I said, I don't want to just go to school for three years or whatever and get a lot of like theological information poured into my head, although that's important. Uh, I wanted to do a field type experience. And so I looked around, I knew about Willow Creek and they had, they were just starting this three year internship that was integrated with seminary. Um, mentoring, leadership development, all kinds of things like that. And I, I just went for it. I stepped out. You know, I was 22 years old and, you know, lived near my parents and all that, right, for all my life, of course. And so that was a that was a step. I would call that um, trying to um, trying to be wise in the way that, that my formation and development was happening. So, um, yeah, Willow Creek, Willow Creek was, a, was that. And I can talk more about that. Mosaic, the season of calling, um, we had met uh, the lead pastor there, Erwin McManus, and spent some time with him in Chicago when he was there. And we were just swept up by what God was really doing at Mosaic with the ethnic diversity. I think I got cut off here. You're okay. No, you're good. You're, you, you. Oh, I'm okay. okay. Yeah, you're good. Go. Sorry. Just keep, keep going. Uh, keep rolling. Okay. Um, yeah, when, when I was living in Chicago and, and we had a mutual friend with the lead pastor Mosaic or McManus, um, we got together, spent some time with him and we had heard him speak and heard a little bit about Mosaic, but we were swept up, um, really in, in what was happening in their church, the creativity and diversity, the way that they were reaching people very far from God. Of course, we were in our twenties. Um, so my wife and I had just gotten married and we said, let's just take a risk. It wasn't a job opportunity, but we just decided to move to LA because we wanted to learn and we wanted to, to be part of a community that was doing something very significant in reaching 20 somethings primarily, um, you know, with the gospel. And so we, we wanted our lives to be about that. So that was, that was a, that was a season or part of our calling was learning and formation. And so. Um, in the Willow Creek days, I would say part of my calling really was the was the beginnings and the formation of a holistic view and vision of the local church of what it could be. How do I develop and form as a leader? Um, Mosaic, there were so many things there too, but I learned so much about creativity and and mission and how to live a missional life. Uh, I discovered a lot more of who I who I am, and then also. Um, as God redirected what I sort of thought to be, I'm going to be a lead pastor, or I'm going to be a church planter. Um, those are all not bad things, but it's sort of the evolution of your calling. And in Mosaic, I, I felt like I got clarity that that wasn't my optimal role to start a church or even lead a church. But I've come alongside, you know, in some cases, a lead pastor. Um, I started uh, what was what we call the protege program at Mosaic, which was a significant part of really calling discovery, but also calling fulfillment as it became 
really the, the primary like sweet spot of ministry for me to develop young leaders in the local church and uh, to help harness their calling and their kind of self-awareness, self-discovery process too. So that was part of my calling. Um, I'm excited these days because I'm, I'm on board at SEU, pretty new here uh, still, but, but another kind of unfolding of my calling where I get to work with local churches who are partnering with SEU across the country and, um, and help them develop their programs, but develop their young adults uh, as well. And so uh, I feel fortunate and lucky. Um, but yeah, there's all different streams and seasons of calling. Just some of my calling, I found myself in years of what I would call waiting yeah. or even winter, right? where you know, you're know you not quite in your sweet spot. You're not quite in your zone. There's things that aren't quite right. But, um, and that's, but much like the people in... And that's okay. I mean, I, 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 think, okay, I think people yeah. struggle with that often. Like, man, it, it, because nothing's happening, you know, I must be doing something wrong. But that's okay. Yeah. I, and I like... Yeah, I think it's okay. And I think it's, for me, it was so formative, right? right? It was hard to sit in that. But like, I, but I, you know, it's easier to look back in the rearview mirror. But, but no, I'm with you, Ken. I mean, it, it was not only okay, but good for me, yeah. even though I didn't want to stay in that space too long. You mentioned uh, you mentioned risk. Uh, risk was the beginning, especially as you headed west, um, you know, to, to Los Angeles. Um, I really believe uh, it's my opinion. God wires risk in us, or wires, um, or 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 creates risk for us because out of risk, uh, we do build trust. And it grows um, opportunities for faith to uh, begin to develop. But, but so many people are afraid of risk. So many leaders are afraid to take risks. How do you, I mean, you, you took a huge risk. What, what would be one or two things that you would say to those who struggle with risk to actually push through that. Yeah, I remember when I first brought the thought to my new wife, Sherry. So what do you think <laughs> about moving to Los Angeles to become part of Mosaic? Right, We were living in Chicago. And uh, she said, for, for no job? <laughs> you know, I'm 25 or whatever years old. And they weren't, they, Mosaic only hires from within. So I was like, yeah, no job. Just, you know, she's like, seven years of school and you're going to do that. You know? <laughs> um, now she, she, she turned the corner in the sense of like, she felt that same sense. And so we were totally together and synergistic in that decision. But yeah, it was a risk. I mean, there wasn't a job waiting for us, right? It, it was, uh, to, uh, it was an adventurous season in one sense, but there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown. And I'm with you, Ken, and what you just said. I mean, I, I, I have learned this more and more over the years, but if you really want to grow in an optimal way, risk is required. Yeah. And stepping into uncertainty, right? If you want to grow in your faith, it's like Peter getting out of the boat to right. walk on the water, right? right. Like, I mean, what he got to experience was amazing, but no one else got out of the boat. No one else took that risk. And so, yeah, I think um, that's, that's essential to our growth, at least optimal growth. Um, and sometimes you find yourself in the unknown, and I know this is true of me, and it's like, I have to learn to trust God more deeply, right. because I don't know where this is going, or I don't know what even God is doing. Um, but to orient yourself and to kind of lean into risk, I think, is a critical part of our own human journey. And in your first book, Relational Intelligence, which, by the way, for our listeners, is one of my all-time favorite leadership development books, I have it 
my library uh, within reach. And um, I highly recommend anyone listening to pick up a coffee, but copy. But in, in relational intelligence, you talk about how how important it is um, that leaders improve the quality of relationships. A lot of it has to do with uh, in that quality, the emotional intelligence that you. Uh, discern and, and use for the context, for the moment, for the conversation. Can you can you share a little bit about some of the practices that you've you found that have helped leaders improve quality of relationships? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the hard things to do for many leaders is around the idea of listening or even asking questions. Right? It takes patience. Uh, it takes time. Uh, when you think about Jesus, a great leader, of course. Uh, and you, and you think about the gospels, right? For, for first four books of the New Testament. Uh, and I did a study on this one time and Jesus asked 87 questions in the gospel of Matthew. In the gospel of Luke, he asked 129 questions. This is son of God. He's not really looking for information. Right. I mean, he has information, right? Through knowledge. And then throughout all four gospels, when he gets asked, uh, at least 183 questions, he responds with 307 questions. So no, not direct answers, right. right? Like we typically think. And I think I think I have this I have this tendency too. It's like leaders want to give answers, right? We want to resolve things, we want to fix things, we want to problem solve, and all that's good. But many leaders don't take time to ask questions that are intentional, questions that are thoughtful, right? And the reality is, there's strategic importance in that, right? And relational intelligence is, is part of that. But there's also the importance of the quality of relationships because. There's this great quote, I'll paraphrase, but, but basically it says the average person can't distinguish the difference between being heard and being loved. Wow. So meaning if leaders would approach people, right, that they oversee or work with or whatever and help them feel heard and listened to, right, which comes through asking questions and being interested in them and et cetera, which is partly what I write about in relational right. intelligence, these people will feel loved. And when you feel loved, you're compelled to follow that person. Love is the greatest way to influence someone, I believe. And so fostering love, fostering listening, right? Those kinds of things in the culture of wherever you're leading is, is overlooked, really, right. I think, in, in many circles of leadership. Yet I find to be not only an immense and critical value of Jesus and his tribe, but an immense and critical value in leadership, even strategically. And so... Being intelligent with that and the way you relate to the people around you. We can't do it for everybody, uh, but we but we can do it for some, right? right. And, and we can do it for the people that are closest to us. And so what if that was the cultures of our leadership circles? I think it would it would change the quality of our relationship. Yeah. And, and, and you talk about love. I mean, I honestly it 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 really does begin it it unlocks the door to be able to influence and shape in the sense of when you love, you're encouraging, you're coming alongside. Can you give me a story? Cause you, you love stories uh, where you practiced or you, you really were intentional in a relational way and how that pro, uh, brought great um, change in, in, a, in a person's life that you had the, the chance to come alongside. Sure. I met a guy named Yash at a dinner party one night, uh, just an informal dinner party, lots of different people there. Um, and, and the person that was hosting the dinner party was part of my, my church. Um, this guy was not. He was uh, from India. He was a Hindu guy. 
Um, he had come over for school to the United States and we struck up a friendship and, you know, took a liking to each other, whatever. And, um, and then he got invited to our church, you know, a few weeks later and he came and he showed up. I'm like, Oh, Hey, Yash, you know, how's it going? And, and this friendship started. Well, um, you know, Yash told me at one point that, uh, he likes our church better than his Hindu temple. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. He said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming back to your church. Well, several weeks went by, he came to our church and one day I found out he was, he was getting a bus to come to church. He didn't have a car, which took him about 45 minutes. And I was like, Oh man, I'll, I'll, how about I take you to church? The only thing is I come early because I come and I serve and set things up and all that. He's like, oh, I'll do that. So this Hindu guy who struck up a friendship, we're, we're driving together. And what happened in those car drives to and from church and then in other sort of places and spaces in life is I sought to ask him questions about his life and his history and even his own religion, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, reciprocally, he was asking questions to me. And this great friendship happened, you know? And part of it was, it was just a simple mundane thing in life. It was me, I guess, going a little bit out of my way to help a guy out. Um, but, but, but more than anything, we took time to hang out and care about really what was going on. And, and, and I think as a, as a follower of Jesus myself, sometimes as, as Christians, we want to tell other people stuff, right? right? But we don't want to listen to their story and their life. And, and I think that was a powerful part of his own journey of, eventually coming uh, to me one day after church and saying, it happened, I did it. And I said, what? And he said, I, I became a follower of Jesus. Wow. You know, I was like, oh, that's so awesome. I said, have you told God? And he <laughs> said, no, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, you should, you should tell God too. You know? And, uh, and he, he prayed right there and, and said, you know, the most authentic prayer I could, you know, I've ever heard probably. I wish I had it recorded. Um, and just poured out his heart to God and his whole life changed because of a, because of a friendship, you know? And I remember him talking about how, yeah, I like, I like the God of your church. And, and then he, as a Hindu, you have many gods, right? He, he said, I, I think I'm going to narrow it down to three gods, right? And there was this process of him eventually saying, no, I want Jesus to be my one and only God. And I want to follow him. And, and again, I mean, um, lots of question asking, lots of being interested in one another, um, lots of just time with each other. And, uh, and the way it unfolded was quite amazing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're around a lot of young leaders, especially doing university, uh, life. Uh, I, I often, I mean, I really do see this as an issue that young leaders seem to struggle with at first, how to really, you know, step into step up to relational and you mentioned you mentioned listening is absolutely key that you take the time to listen when you engage um in in uh, people's lives but what what might be one other quick step man today i need to do this today to begin that journey of truly being a relationally intelligent leader yeah i i would say hard conversations necessary conversations mm. right are are so avoided in leadership right whether that's in an in a formal evaluation um that's okay that's fine those are great they can be great um but also in an ongoing way where you know I, as a younger leader i hated those conversations i was so nervous i didn't want to be confronted i mean still today i mean i don't like want to be confronted sure. but what i what i've learned over the years for myself it's how valuable it is when someone that you trust and you have a relationship with comes to you and 
and speaks truth, yeah. you know, in hopefully a loving way, but even if it's imperfect, which it often is, right? Cause we don't always get that right. Um, that, that you address a conflict you have between or a tension between you two or, or, or that person has a conversation about something you're not hitting the mark on. And as a young leader, I wish I could go back and tell myself to, to approach it this way. It's like, um, we all have ego, right? Sure. And it's like, let your ego die and learn and grow and have that kind of mindset, right? This person is not out to get you most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to help you and invite that and give people permission even. Um, and to, to receive that is one part of being relational intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And invite it. But the other side of it is be willing to have those conversations appropriately speaking, right? And with wisdom intact and humility and all, all those kinds of things. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, I could be wrong. You know, but like, this is what I see. This is, this is some things that I think you're great at. And I try to be affirmative, right? But, but here's one or two things. Uh, you know, sometimes I even say, if you don't mind, sometimes if they do mind, I still have to tell them, but, <laughs> but if you don't mind, can I, can I share with you, um, a couple things that I see that I think you could grow in? I mean, most people are, are pretty open. I mean, sometimes they get a little defensive in the moment. I get that, but that's all part of it. Um, but, but yeah, to work on that and practice and to give yourself a break, cause you're never going to quite get it perfect. It takes practice, yeah. um, facing conflict and having candid conversations. And I'm not wired that way. I mean, I've come a long way in my <laughs> own journey cause I'm kind of the guy that, you know, there's like tough love people and tender love people sure. more than the tender love. I want to give people grace. Um, you know, the tough love people that want to give people truth might need to lean the other direction a little bit and give a little bit more grace and empathy too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that, that's one thing. Yeah, no, that's I good. Think. And, and, and probably in the midst of that, uh, tough conversation, how, how you re- relationally set the context can actually enhance that, that, uh, instead of making it more formal, make it more relaxed and Hey, let's go to lunch. Let's uh, get a cup of coffee. Let's, um, I know in my own experience that has been, um, how I've, I've looked to approach those kinds of opportunities and the way I've had people approach it with me. And, and it's, it, the, the environment has a lot to do with it as well. So that's important. Your, your second book, uh, Protege, which is a powerful read on, again, developing leaders. Uh, one that, uh, you've used in a variety of places, a lot of, a lot of churches using it. I, I think of Mark Batterson, um, has the protege program uh, at his his church, and we're now beginning to implement in our own extension sites. And uh, I, um, this is a great framework for leaders to use in mentoring um, next generation leaders. Just can you quickly walk us through maybe this framework and 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 the value of of what it means? Yeah. So the protege book is from a personal standpoint, like my great ministry passion <laughs> to, to develop young, in particular, young leaders, next generation leaders. And, and when we think of leadership development, we often think of organizational things and that, that is part of it, right? That you have to learn how to do X, Y, and Z in an organization. And that's how you move up in an organization, right? And, and that stream of things is very good. Protege, uh, much of it is focused on what I would, what I would term as essence. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the essence of a leader? Right. So there's there's leadership skills and and discovery and self-awareness that that comes with that. But ultimately, I believe our leadership is about who we are. Right. We lead out of the place of who we are. So things like character formation. How is that happening in your life? What does that look like? Are you becoming 
a more humble person who serves others? Are you becoming less uh, selfish and more others, you know, focused? Are you, um, are you becoming uh, more grateful and generous, right? Are you learning to make decisions with wisdom? Um, you know, those kind of things. And then there's the essence part of us that is about mission and relationships. And, you know, how, how are your relationships? How is your emotional health, right? Your emotional well-being, your emotional intelligence, you know, let's look at that. Let's take time. And so a lot of the book protege and a lot of my own passion is how do you walk with people through those deeper development and formation conversations? What does that look like? You know, because I think we all need that. I mean, we're all sort of ongoingly being formed. Um, but, but to be intentional about that uh, is, is super important. And then there's other aspects of, you know, discovering your strength and, and, and your talents and, and your personality styles and your passions and kind of merging all those together. It's part of what we were talking about earlier around calling, right? That discovering calling, sometimes it happens in a moment. But as you were saying, there's different seasons too, and you learn different things in different seasons. So the protege approach is how do I come alongside a young leader in the season that they're in and pay attention to what is God really doing or wanting to do in them? And how do I partner with them to help them essentially accelerate their development and optimize who they're becoming and what kind of leader they're becoming? Yeah. Because if, if you become a better person, a simple way to say it, a better person, a transformed person, um, right. Like you're going to, you're going to help other people right. be transformed too. And so it's really all about transformational leadership in your own life. And then how does that look as you pass it on to others through your life? Right. I mean, that's the essence of leadership in, in, in reality, being others oriented and, and just, that's what you're there to do is to empower. But, but, but let me ask you this in your observation. I mean, I know in my observations there, there, I, I have seen, um, experience leaders, you know, things that have held them back and they don't jump into that. Why do you think that is, at least in some of your observations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a couple things come to mind. One is one is identity, right? That, that we kind of get our identity and our worth wrapped up in the wrong stuff. I mean, I think this is true of everybody. Sure. I can't speak for everybody. I know it's true of me <laughs> over the years and the process. Uh, I think the other thing is fear. I think we're not often aware of what our what our fears really are, but I but I think our fears actually drive us and they're revealed often in our probably always in our behaviors in one in one way or another. Mm. Um and so I think we ought to look at our fears. Uh we ought to look at what we what we really derive our worth from and uh and slow down long enough to um to process that, to to, to talk about that with others, to even pray through that. Um you know, because that, that's been a that's been a part of my own transformational journey. Stuff that holds me back, holds me back from having the conversations I need to have, from taking the risks I need to take, from making certain decisions. Right, it, it blurs the the lines on on what you should do or what you should not do. Um, and so, I think if you address those things, you move toward living more from principles and convictions than you do to please other people or to get someone else's approval or man, we live in a day that is so much about image management, right? right? right. From, I mean, social media is, it makes that as evident as anything, right? That we want to portray a certain, um, that we're kinder or better or things are going better than, than they may really be. And, um, so it's hard, I think, to be vulnerable and authentic to what's really going on inside because there's all these forces that, um, sort of pull us away from that. So, I think that's that's kind of the 
deeper journey of maybe what stops leaders sometimes. No doubt. Let me ask you this. Um, a lot of young leaders listening right now, um, what advice would you give them? They want a, a strong mentor in their life, but maybe they don't know how to find one. What, what would be a good way to do that? Yeah. The two things that I pretty often tell people, I said, I said, number one, mentors are all around you. You just have to be willing to listen and absorb what the people around you are saying. Mentorship doesn't have to look like one-on-one at a dinner every week for nine weeks, you know? And, um, and so part of it is just having a constant learning spirit. the, The second more concrete part of it, I guess you could say is, um, is I tell people, I wouldn't approach someone that you want to be mentored by, by asking them, will you mentor me? Because right. <laughs> I think some people just get sort of nervous about that, right? right. How much time or, you know, instead, and I've done this many times in my life, just try to get an opportunity to hang out with that person one time. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've gone to, I remember I was living in the Bay Area and I, uh, there was a guy at our church. He was the head over the sports medicine department at Stanford. Mm. And, you know, I met him. We had a couple conversations. I was like, man, I'd love to. He started the sports medicine, actually, at Stanford. And um, I'd love to learn from him. So I asked him if I could come to his office one day and just ask him some questions. And he was like, oh, sure. You know, the nicest guy, you know, gave me 45 minutes or an hour. And I mean, I had notes. I was scribbling stuff down like crazy. Um, And so, yeah, um, that that was a mentor, right? I don't think we always get to choose the rhythm or how much that person is going to spend time with us. I mean, sometimes, uh, but there, there's likely people around, you know, you, whoever's listening that, um, that are willing to spend at least a little time with you, right? right? Whether that's an hour or, and go toward them. Don't ask them to come your way, go their way, right? Offer to buy their lunch or coffee or whatever. Um, uh, or even, to, you know, go into their business or go into their home or, you know, um, and all that. So I think you, I think you have to take initiative is what it comes down to. And open your eyes to see where those opportunities, those people, those mentors might be. I think I think it's very meaningful to, for someone, for most people, to, to be asked that, um, and then to be to be able to pass on things. But, you, but but I'll say one more thing. Sometimes I sit with people and they they you know portray they want to be mentor, but they don't ask any questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's like go into it asking questions, right? right. So that you can learn and you know discover what you want to discover from that person. Yeah, and speaking of that, hey man, next time you're 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 here, uh, I know this great taco place. I think you might have already been there. So I'm asking you, let's go to lunch and let's hang out a little bit. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> that would I'm be in, man. I'll bring questions out to you. <laughs> that'd be that'd be great. Sure. Hey, your latest book and and um, is is powerful. Honest conversations about spirituality, talking about God. And you, uh, you authored this with your wife, Sherry, um, real quick, just to touch a little bit on that again, it's, it, it really reflects your commitment to relationships. And, uh, so talk just a couple minutes about that. Yeah, I know it is a book about relationships. It's, it's my wife and I, uh, there's six people in the book that three kind of are my wife's friends. Three are kind of my friends. I mean, there's overlap of course, but, um, but it's a narrative style book of six of our friends. And we decided to write this together to um, sort of go back in time and allow the reader to listen in on the conversations that we had with these people who were searching for God, who were asking tough life questions, right? About God, about faith, about doubts, about fears, about insecurities, all these kind of things. And 
we basically recount how these conversations unfolded, what we said, what we asked, uh, what they said, what their struggles were, how we shared our own struggles. I mean, there's, there's um, themes of authenticity throughout the book. There's themes of how do you disagree with someone, uh, which I think is an important, critical topic in our day, but how do you disagree with someone and still show them honor and dignity? Yeah. And I think that's very possible. I, I think our culture uh, is pretty bad at it, at least these days in, in many respects. Um, and so, yeah, it's not saying we did this perfectly, but it's saying, man, these are the journeys we've gone on, gone on with people. And we just want to pass on some of this learning. And so if you read the book, it's, it's a quick, easy kind of read. It goes pretty smooth. Um, and, and I think it helps the reader understand how do I relate better to a person? How do I create connection and common ground? And even when we don't agree, how do I, you know, connect with a person and help share uh, your own faith and your own story and, and even about God as, as the moments present themselves. Yeah. Power, powerful content. And uh, thank you for, for writing that. Hey, real, real quick, I want to do a, a lightning round. I do this with all, all, all my guests. Um, what's, what's sure. your favorite leadership book and why? Oh, that's such a hard question, but I'm going to say I love uh, strengthening the soul of your leadership uh, yeah, because great. That book is less about how to do leadership and more about who you're becoming. Are you becoming a transformed leader? Because that's what you're going to pass on and really help me in that conversation. If, uh, if you could go back to when you were 10, 11, 12 years of age, what leadership advice would you give yourself even at that age? Oh, man. If my 10-year-old self could absorb this, it would have changed a lot. Um, <laughs> don't strive to prove yourself to all the people around you. Uh, <laughs> you know. You know, embrace vulnerability and seek seek character. Don't seek to approve, you know, to get approval from others. Don't seek to prove that you're something great, right? In fact, um, start off thinking you're not so great. <laughs> Maybe you're pre-great, um, but uh, there's a long journey to go, right? Because we want to we want to portray this image like everything's great, right, all along the way. Man, that 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 kind of jacked me up along the way sometimes. Uh, oh, so good. Hey, perfect. What would be a perfect day off for you? perfect day off a few things i do i love being at the beach yes. in the morning when it's so quiet and you hear the waves and the sun's coming up might maybe start that day i love basketball i'd play basketball somewhere there possibly with my nine-year-old son hudson um music would be running throughout <laughs> the day maybe some u2 or you know i don't know Coldplay or something um my wife and i it's valentine's day today yes. um and my wife and i um have a stronger relationship uh, than, than than ever. And um, man, I'd hang with her. I'd probably go to our favorite restaurant, maybe on the beach somewhere in South Florida. Um, maybe have sushi. That's that's like my favorite go-to meal. Um, and then possibly finish the day with an action movie or something. Uh, perfect day. <laughs> hey, uh, what historical leader, living or 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 has passed on, would you most like to have coffee with? Oh man, there's a list that runs through my head, but I'm going to, I'm going to say Mother Teresa wow. <laughs> because I, uh, I would love to sit down with her. I remember I met a guy who actually had interacted with Mother Teresa and he said, um, the thing you feel when you're talking to Mother Teresa is you feel like you're the most important person in the world. Wow. And, and that just struck me. And I was like, man, and, and for somebody to live a quiet life and not to self-promote right. in any kind of way, live that principled without trying to grab attention, man, in our day, that's a hard person to find. Absolutely. And I just love to learn. How did you do that? How, what motivated you? What were your struggles along the way? What helped you get through it? 
how'd you become so resilient? How'd you care so much about people that no one else cares about in the world? I'd love to know what she would say about that. Wow. That would be that would be a great encounter. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us on uh, Framework Leadership today. And uh, to learn more about Steve, you can visit stevesacone.com. That's stevesacone.com. We are grateful for you. You are a gift to Southeastern University and coming alongside and, and developing so many young leaders that are going to be leading the church, serving Christ, literally serving the world. And we are so grateful for that. Thanks so much, Ken. Here's the deal. You know, people are the secret sauce of any organization. And that's why I love connecting with leaders like Steve Saccone, because they they really understand the most uh, significant thing you can do as a leader is make sure you build up the people around you. If you want to build a skyscraper, you have to have a solid foundation. The stronger that foundation, really, the higher you can build. And the same is true for organizations. People are the foundation of an organization. The more you want to achieve as, as a leader, the broader and wider your foundation must become. The most important function a leader plays in, in an organization is to acquire, place, grow, and retain top talented, gifted people. It doesn't matter how good your data analysis is, how compelling your vision is, or, or even how well thought out your strategic plan may be. If you don't have the right people, it won't create the impact you desire. You'll always come up short. If you can't tell already, one of my passions as a leader is to build up people. I I have a few habits I've developed over the years that really kind of inform how I coach my senior leaders to do uh, what they should do in building up people on their teams. Uh, and perhaps maybe these ideas will help you too. Uh, one, one idea is be on the lookout for hidden talent. It's always around you. Just take time to look. Secondly, create opportunities for next generation leaders. I I explicitly tell my leadership team to find potential in those who aren't in leadership yet and then create or give them opportunities to um, step up maybe in their gifts or or talents that you see and sense. The third thing that has been helpful is to make sure you reserve time on your calendar for coaching and mentoring. Great leaders are always made and formed over time. Uh, and then fourth, always choose the relationship. When you have a choice, choose the conversation over the task. If you want to change your life, your organization, or even change the world, build into the people around you. There is no more foolproof formula for success. Hey, I'm Ken Engel. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership Podcast. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at kentingle and on Facebook at kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.